Welcome back to your favorite ethically sourced, naturally fermented podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Jason Sieber, the associate conductor of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Mike Gordon, principal flute of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the education manager of the Kansas City Symphony. Guys, I'm super excited because today we are going to be talking about the largest musical instrument there is. And the incredible woman who plays it so beautifully with us at the Kansas City Symphony. Of course, I'm talking about the organ and the conservator of the Cassavant Organ in Hellsberg Hall at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts, Jan Craybill. That's right. And Jan is one of the most important musicians in the Kansas City Symphony family. Uh, She plays with us so often uh, on the organ, of course, but also harpsichord, piano. I mean, she does it all. And uh, I've had the great pleasure of playing uh, chamber music with Jan several times as well. We did a wonderful concert of Bach uh, a little while ago. And in recent times, we've even had a little... uh, electronic collaboration, uh, which was really, really exciting. And I'm sad we didn't get to be in person to create that together, but it was neat to kind of explore new frontiers that way. And she's doing a lot of that right now in her own work as well. So an incredibly diverse and varied and talented and creative musician who gives really so much to our organization. We appreciate it. She does. And, you know, some of my favorite memories of of working with Jan, obviously for me, include um, some performances that we've been able to do for students here in the Kansas City area. And uh, what I love is that the, the way that the organ sits in Hellsberg Hall where we play, like, unless you really know what you're looking at, it's very easy to just think that it's a very ornate, beautiful looking wall. <laughs> Um, and then suddenly, you know, you see Jan come through the door that's, you know, she comes up from inside the organ and like emerges onto the platform. And when you're in there with a, with a bunch of kids and you see those kids like, wait, there's somebody up there. What's going on? Like, what is she doing? Like, she shouldn't be up there. How is that happening? And then she starts playing the wall. And I think the kids, the kids just especially, you know, love to see that. And, um, and then to hear Jan talk about the instrument, you can really just feel the love that she has um, for music and for playing. And, some of my favorite uh, statistics she gives to, I, I've heard you give it to students, but I'm assuming that this is something that that comes up uh, everywhere, is some pipes on the organ are bigger than your house, and then some pipes, the smallest pipes in the organ are as tiny as your pinky finger. And if you hold it up and the kids are all looking and they're holding up their fingers and they're like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> it's just super fun and, and so fun to, to work with Jan and uh, to hear her play and to hear her share her love for the instrument. Is, it's awesome. Indeed, indeed. And you know, like all of us, Jan has been working tirelessly these last several months over the summer to keep making music. You know, she's a dear friend of the symphony. She's a multi-Grammy nominated artist and all around fabulous person. And we're just so excited to have her on the show today. Please welcome Jan Craybill. Welcome, Jan. Wow. What nice things you've already said about me. My goodness. You're all my new best friends. Oh, we're so glad to have you. It's great to be here. And I tell you what, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've been walking a lot during COVID isolation and podcasts have saved me and especially yours just because it's so uplifting. And, you know, of course, I'm getting to know people that I've worked with for a while and it's just been great. So good work. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. That's oh. very sweet. We always recommend walking to Beethoven walks into <laughs> yes. a bar. <laughs> yes. So you can imagine yourself actually walking to a bar. But um, well, we're so excited to have you here today, Jan. And you know, one of the one of the most interesting and one of the most important things you've been doing uh, during these last six months is actually taking care of the organ, right? And that's right. And you're one of the few people who's been able to go inside uh, Heltzberg Hall regularly, because that is a very important part of your job. So right off the bat, just tell us a little bit what that's been like to go into the hall with nobody else there. Um, what what sort of care does the organ need? What kind of things uh, 
do you do when you're there? Well, it's interesting being an organist that your instrument is absolutely not movable. <laughs> and we might think that about a piano or a big set of drums, but those instruments are actually movable to a limited extent. An organ absolutely is not. It's part of the place where it exists. It's part of, well, as Stephanie said, it's part of the wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and beside the fact that it's the size of some people's houses, uh, so it just cannot be moved, which means that it needs care like your house would. So if you imagine leaving your house for six months, you wouldn't expect to just walk in and have everything be the same. Your house plants would be dead. Um, there might be some unintended guests that uh, took up residence while you were not there. Um, <laughs> so it's important that we care for these instruments like we would care for any large investment like a house. So I go there every two to three weeks and I climb through the entire instrument. Uh, there are six floors of rooms in this organ. Uh -huh. And so I climb through them all. There are 5,548 separate pipes, and each one of those pipes is like a separate musical instrument, and so mm. I look at them all. And then I also get to play, because it's really good for the organ to have exercise, just like people should have exercise. So mm. I take the organ for a little walk, <laughs> and... Um, uh, you asked what it was like to be there with no one else there. That's the hardest part, is this big, beautiful hall with gorgeous acoustics, and I don't have friends playing there with me. Mm. So it's a little lonely in that sense, but it, I also consider it a great privilege to be able to be there when so many of us are not able to be there and make music there. Absolutely. Jan, you mentioned, so it's an immovable instrument, right? It doesn't move. But this is this is fascinating to me. So it did have to move into Hellsberg Hall, right? Right. Uh, I mean, like when they built the hall, there was, you know, a space created for it and it did have to come there. Um, but from what I understand, where when they made the instrument in France, yes? Uh, no, in the French-speaking part of Canada. Canada, in that's right. Hyacinth, Canada. Right. Right. So it it came from Canada. So obviously, you're not going to ship it all put together. But they had to put it together completely, fully assemble it in Canada to make sure everything was working, and then take it all the way apart, and then ship it to Kansas City, and then re put it all back together in its permanent home. Is that how yes. it happened? Yes, that's exactly right. So that's the construction process for all pipe organs. They are all put completely together in the shop where they're constructed and they're tested extensively and sometimes changes are made and then it's all taken apart and put on big semi-trailers and it all comes to Kansas City or to wherever it's headed for. And then it takes months, in our case about two months, to put it all back together and then it has to be voiced which is kind of like taking your instruments of an orchestra or a choir and saying, okay, you a little softer, you a little louder, you need to blend with you. Um, it's a very complex process, and that took another two months. So yeah. it was a long time before we got to hear this organ um, actually sounding in the hall where it was designed to go. I can actually remember uh, the first couple times we were in the new hall. It was in the spring before the Performing Arts Center uh, officially opened. And that, you know, for any of you who have been there, there's that kind of wire mesh uh, material that goes along the back, you know, arched part of the hall. And where the organ and, and uh, organ loft are now, there was basically just a gap in that mesh. There was kind of a hole. Um, and it didn't look really that out of place. But to then come back to the hall, you know, a few months later, uh, the following fall and see the complete instrument in there was just incredible. It was so spectacular. And even then, the organ wasn't yet playable. <laughs> so it looked like the organ was there, but only the facade of the organ was there. And everything <laughs> behind it was in various states of being put together. Wow. So you guys performed in the hall a long time before you heard the organ in the hall. That didn't happen until April of the next year, of 2012. That's when the inaugural concerts of the organ happened. Do you know, another cool thing that I remember from that and this wouldn't have been that long after you know the organ was there and and so there are actually seats for the chorus when we have chorus singing with us but 
uh, the audience can sit in those seats that are right on that wall. They're, they're seats behind the orchestra and what we call the the choral loft. And I remember it, there was this question of like, hold on a minute. Can we really have people sit in these seats when the organ is being played? Like, is that just going to be deafeningly loud? Is it going to like vibrate their seats? You know, what's going to happen? And so... I think our executive director at the time, Frank Byrne, like set up this like test event and we invited people who had seats in the choral loft and probably, you know, you know, a lot of uh, special guests to come and sit down in the loft while you played. And we got feedback from the audience to see like, is this okay? How do you feel about this? And it was great. Yeah, we also had audiologists there to mm -hmm. do actual tests. So we had the people to tell us how they felt. Mm -hmm. And we had audiologists to tell us if there was anything dangerous about the sound levels for the audience or for me at the console. And it all turned out fine. And when Frank Byrne interviewed the audience uh, afterward and said, how did you feel? I'll never forget one lady said, I heard the voice of God. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> the general reaction was, this is a pretty cool instrument, and I can't wait to hear it live in For this sure. hall in performance. Well, it always sounds magnificent, especially when, when you are playing it, Jan. You know, for our listeners, that and actually, I, the organ is such a mysterious instrument, I think. A lot of people have no idea how it really physically works, I think. They, they see you up there, they see your, your hands playing on the keys and your feet moving on the pedals. And they know that there's all those pipes behind, but it's not like a piano where you strike a key and then, of course, a hammer strikes a, a string. Wind, ha air has to move through those pipes. So can you just tell us a little bit in the most nerdiest way possible, please, <laughs> how the physics of an organ work? Well, you don't want it to be the nerdiest way possible because I can really <laughs> wax eloquent on this subject. Go for it. And there are entire semesters of courses that are taught about this subject. Okay. So <laughs> I know there's limited time for this podcast, but I'll tell you just the basics. <laughs> so this instrument is called a tracker instrument, which means that like a piano, my motion on a, uh, a key, whether I'm playing it with my fingers or my feet, my motion is transferred to the valve at the bottom of of the pipe via mechanical means. So you can actually watch that happen if you're inside the organ. Mm. Some organs are electronic somehow in their action. Even though they're pipe organs, the action is an electronic link that happens between my finger and the pipe. This is mechanical. So the first thing you have to do is get a mechanical something, and they are called trackers. They're long strips of wood, usually made out of balsa wood because balsa wood is very light, but also very strong. So model airplanes have balsa wood in them because it's a light, but very strong wood. So these, these long strips of wood are the communication between my finger and the pipe that has to sound. There are blowers in a, an enclosure that's far away from any, any audience or any organ pipe, and those blowers are constantly producing air. So that air all, all goes to reservoirs within the instrument, and those reservoirs serve to regulate the air. So for instance, for a flute pipe, it doesn't take very much air pressure to make that pipe sound. But for a big trumpet pipe that might be 32 feet from bottom to top, it takes a lot of air pressure, a lot of air volume to make that pipe sound. So those air reservoirs are regulating air. And Stephanie, you have a question? <laughs> I was just gonna ask, I mean, are you? is that a commentary on how much easier it is to play the flute than the trumpet. You need a whole lot more air. It's just a commentary on how much air, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the flute and the trumpet specifically. Because Mike That's has right. a lot of hot air. Well, I've heard. That's true. But I don't know. <laughs> Okay, okay. If Mike says so, yes, yes. So I'm not sure my organ flute pipes would have a lot of hot air, <laughs> and they don't need a lot of air, period. But the what we call the reed pipes of the organ, which that's a whole different ballgame. We have reeds on the organ that are actually trumpets and trombones and things, and they're called reeds. Hmm. We can get into that later if you want to. <laughs> anyway, so I've got this air that's ready to go through all of the pipes, but none of the pipes sound until I do one of two things. Things. First, I have to pull a draw knob that tells the organ what sound I want. So for one keyboard on the organ, 
for the same keyboard, I can play a flute, I can play a trumpet, I can play a violin, all sorts of different things. So I have to draw a draw knob that says, okay, pipe organ, for this passage, I want it to be sounding like a trumpet. And then my finger on a key. So say I want to play middle C. I push down middle C and the valve that corresponds to that pipe knows that it's the pipe out of 5,548 pipes oh. in this organ. <laughs> That's the pipe I want to hear. And then I can combine them all together to make a glorious sound. Um, so it, it gets very complex very quickly. And that's what I love about organ building and organ playing is that it is so complex and endlessly fascinating. Hmm. So what are some of the most, besides the Kasavan organ in Hellsberg Hall, I mean, obviously you've traveled all over the world and played recitals and played with various ensembles and orchestras. What are some of the most interesting and unique organs that you've had the privilege to perform on? Well, my favorite organs, I think, are the oldest ones. Mm. So if you think about building an instrument of this size, and they did exist in the time of Bach and before, and we can still hear pipes that Bach played mm -hmm. in the 1600s, 1700s. We don't have recordings from back then, but via these pipes, we can hear the actual sounds that those people heard. That makes me just fascinated and so happy to play those instruments. So when I go to grand cathedrals like uh, those in Belgium or the Netherlands, uh, there's a very famous organ called St. Bavos in the Netherlands. Uh, that Mozart actually played and Handel actually wow. played. I loved it when I got to play a concert there and just imagined them. St. Paul's in London, same thing. Uh, so Handel used to play that organ. There's a great story about that, actually. Handel used to show up to play that organ when it was fairly new. And he would show up after the church services, and he would just improvise. He would just be playing around, right? But in his time, there wasn't electricity. So the way you got air to the pipe organ was you had to have assistants, bellows um, operators, that would constantly supply that air. A lot of times, those they were usually guys, and they usually weren't of the highest levels of society. So, Handel's playing the organ, people get the word that he's playing the organ, that he does this every Sunday. They start showing up for these improvisations in greater numbers than they did for the church services uh -oh. that preceded them, <laughs> making the church hierarchy a little angry. So, there are these stories about church officials offering the guys that were doing the pumping of the bellows, offering them bottles of wine, like, here, you can have this if you stop. <laughs> And they'd, they'd say, sure, sounds like a great deal to me. And they would take the wine and they would leave. And Handel had no way of playing anymore. <laughs> that <laughs> is so cool. There wasn't any air left. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Never heard that. That's amazing. <laughs> anyway, so I've gotten to play a lot of cool places and um, a lot of neat places in the United States as well. Yeah. That's um, so amazing. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to play on an instrument that, you know, some of those... Uh, composers like Mozart or Handel or Bach, you know, had actually play on. I, I don't think they had any flutes that I know of that I could go and play anywhere, but maybe I'll look in a closet somewhere in <laughs> Vienna. Maybe there's one. Um, Somebody well, I would attic. love for you to talk a little bit about, about your own career path in history, because I think it's so fascinating. Um, well, anyway, I'm not even going to say any more. You you should just talk about it, but it is a wonderful <laughs> story in and of itself, and nobody tells it better than you. Well, it's interesting. I have not had the straight-line career that a lot of musicians that I admire had. So when I was growing up, I loved music. I absolutely adored it. But I grew up in a small town in western Kansas, and the the career path that seemed open to me if I wanted to be a musician was to be a teacher. And the teachers that I saw were wonderfully inspirational, but I knew that that wasn't me. Um, it, it just isn't in my skill, skill set uh, to be primarily a dis disciplinarian mm -hmm. so that you can teach. <laughs> All right, so... I went to college and my first degree was in education because I really wanted to be 
in music and that was the career path, right? I got out of my bachelor's and my master's degree, got into a public school teaching position. It soon became very clear that I was right, <laughs> that this was, <laughs> this was not for me. So I lasted one whole year in the public schools and I have so much respect for people who do that. My mom was one of them. Mm -hmm. She was a great educator and did it very well. So I then became a freelance musician, which didn't pay very well. I didn't have a reputation yet. I didn't have, um, have a network really yet. And so I ended up taking a job to make ends meet in a pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. that then was called Marion Merrill Dow. And I worked at Marion Merrill Dow first as a temp and then as an employee in the research and development publishing arm of the company. And I worked on some cool drugs that no one's ever heard of, but one cool <laughs> drug that one cool drug that most people have heard of is Allegra. If yeah. you've ever taken Allegra yeah. because of seasonal allergies, I am partially responsible for that drug. Well, look so. at that. Ooh. Amazing. I have taken that and it's really right. helped. So thank well, you, Jane. I'm glad. I'm glad. So the interesting thing about my life now is that that company the Merrill part of it, no, the Marion part of it, the Marion part of that company was started by Julia Irene Kaufman's father. Uh -huh. And so now I play the Julia Irene Kaufman Cassavant pipe organ at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. Wow. When I interviewed with Mrs. Kaufman for the position I now hold, we had a great time talking about her dad Ooh. and all of the great things that he's done for our city mm -hmm. And all of the th great things that her mom did for the arts in our city mm -hmm. and that uh, Mrs. Kaufman has continued to do. I just have so much respect for that entire family. And, uh, you know, the parts of my life kind of came together. So that's a little snapshot. <laughs> so you went from making Allegro with the Kaufmans to making Allegros with a Kaufman oh, organ. Well, I do think it's interesting that Allegra has that name. I, I, there is so much in the pharmaceutical industry that I find fascinating. One of them is how a drug gets its name. Yeah. So there's a whole process, and I don't know if there was any musical part of that process, but there had to be, right? There just had to there be. There had to be, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to get that bad conductor joke in because I'm not on the podium on a regular basis now, so... When I have a bad conductor joke, I, I have to find any opportunity I can to use it. So I sorry. was gonna say Good I don't job. think we can let that that bad joke slide. That was a that was, was pretty bad. Well, pretty well bad. played. Pretty bad. <laughs> so Jan, I'm curious. You know, you're when you were talking about you know pulling out the stuff and put it, pressing down the key to get the right one of five thousand pipes to sound the way you want it to sound. Obviously, like being an organist is. Um, kind of a lesson in multitasking, because I, what I think a lot of people also don't realize is that you're using your hands and your fingers, obviously, but you're also using your feet. That's right. How do you train yourself? I mean, there's one thing, you know, as a wind player, like Mike and I were like, you, you obviously have to coordinate your breath with your fingers and your mouth and your tongue, like you have to do that. And with strings, you know, one hand is doing one thing while the other hand is doing another I cannot imagine incorporating my feet into all of that, that whole equation. How do you prepare, practice doing that and learn how to coordinate that? It's something that we all struggle with as organists. So most of us were pianists mm -hmm. first. And I'm sure somebody listening is thinking, oh, there are other instruments that you use your feet. Um, and piano mm -hmm. is one of them. Drum and set, if right? Like a, like a, yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. If you're a drummer and you play a, a drum set, then yes, you use mm -hmm. your feet. But the organ is the only instrument in which you use your feet to play melodies. And so you have to be as expressive playing a melody with your feet as you do when you're playing it with your hands or singing or whatever. And... That is tricky. Um, it's mostly a mind mm -hmm. thing. So it's not so much coordination. It's more getting your brain to think along many, many different lines at the same time and to hear them and to make them all musically expressive. I think it's a lot like being a conductor, although I am by no means an expert conductor. But looking at a conductor's score and seeing all those lines and figuring out what needs your attention right now and what can kind of go on autopilot a little bit um, so that you can give more attention and then you have to be ready to shift to a different line at a moment's notice. 
Um, it takes lots of practice, but for me, it's the most fun practice. It, it just, partly because my brain isn't big enough to be able to hold a lot of worries or concerns <laughs> or even a to-do list while I'm playing the organ. So it's a great mental break in a way. And it's also a great physical exercise. So Absolutely. Um, I'm tired when I'm done playing the organ. And it's the only exercise I actually like. <laughs> Well, talk a little bit uh, also about you know some of the instruments that uh, you own because, and I can see a couple of them behind you there. But I know you have a spectacular uh, practice studio as well, where you have an organ of your own, uh, a piano, a harpsichord, and um, and you play all of them. And and you know everyone should understand, and maybe you'll talk about this a little bit as well. Uh, I think people have a misunderstanding even musicians sometimes that you know playing a piano versus a harpsichord even is a very different thing organ of course introduces its own uh challenges but just because you can play one keyboard instrument doesn't mean you can automatically play all of them so talk about talk about acquiring you know the skills to play all of those instruments and um you know how how you found these particular instruments that you own and and what you love about each of them yeah i'm very fortunate in that after uh 30 years of marriage my husband and i have worked our way into a home where we could add on and he added on a garage that he built himself and this is a garage for a car guy so there's lots of room to work on cars there's lots of room for cars or other vehicles but the upper, maybe third of the upper floor of that garage, because of course everybody needs a two-story garage, right? <laughs> okay, so the upper story of that garage, the upper th uh, one third of that, is a studio that um, he built for me, and so finally I have room for this collection of instruments that. It's kind of like his cars. Most of the cars in his garage do not run yet. <laughs> they are all in various stages of repair. <laughs> the stuff that you see behind me in the room where I'm sitting right now, none of them work. <laughs> They're just beautiful. <laughs> They're beautiful antiques. I love them and they all need work. But in my studio are three working instruments. One is a small pipe organ. It has seven ranks of pipes. The Julia Irene Kaufman organ has 102 ah. ranks or sets of pipes. So my organ might have maybe 200 pipes compared to 5,548 pipes. So it's not huge, but I can practice at home now for the first time ever. I don't have to go to a closed building or a drafty church. I can, at two in the morning, if I can't sleep, I can just walk down the hall and practice. That's amazing. Same thing with the harpsichord. I didn't have a harpsichord for a long time. That one was actually given to me. Somebody just came to my office one day and said, I've had this harpsichord in my home for a long time. I've enjoyed it. I'm now moving to a smaller place. This is yours if you want it. Wow. Which, wow. What, what a gift. Yes. And then I have a grand piano, a concert grand piano built by Bersendorfer, my very favorite kind of piano. And I've got that in my studio as well. So it's, it's amazing. I still can't believe it. That room just calls to me, makes me want to practice. And luckily, during this COVID isolation, I've gotten to practice a lot. <laughs> That's great. That's great. What else have you been up to these last few months, Jan? Have you been performing? In, I mean, I know churches, a lot of churches are doing virtual services right now. I know that you are music director uh, at a local church. Is that correct? Uh, no, I'm not director of music, but I'm an organist, an organist at a local okay. church. So yeah. have you still been playing around town when you can? How, how have you been spending the last few months? My church has been closed since mm -hmm. March. Uh, the churches that house the other two massive pipe organs that I look after, that church is also closed. So a large part of my time has been in inspecting all of those instruments, like I inspect the Coffin Center instrument, and sending reports to various people. Um, but then I, luckily, you know, I, I didn't know, I don't know how you guys were, but I wasn't sure after having been paid to do music since I was 14. If I'm not being paid, if there are no contracts, if there's nobody saying this is the next piece you have to learn, this is the next calendar commitment, this is when the rehearsal is, you know, would I still want to make music? 
I really wasn't sure. Hmm. And luckily I found that, yes, I am a musician at heart. I have to make music. Okay, in COVID isolation, if you're an organist, how are you going to make music? The only way to do it is to provide videos online. Mm -hmm. And I did the first one kind of by accident. I was at the Kaufman Center. I was testing the organ. I played Vidor Toccata. My husband happened to be there in case I found critters. I'm a little uh, <laughs> icky about critters. I didn't. I never have at the Kaufman Center. But in some churches, you go in and it's like, okay, first thing you got to do is move some things out. Uh, anyway, he was there just in case. We didn't have to move any critters. I'm playing Vidor Toccata. He takes out his cell phone and makes a recording. And I then put it on Facebook just because I thought those of you who didn't get to come to the Kaufman Center would enjoy sounds from there. I thought, you know, 15 friends and my mom <laughs> would view that video. Nope. And it literally went around the world. Now it has, I don't know, almost 5,000 views and, I don't know, 2,000 shares. And so I realized, okay... This is what I can do then. I need to make music. And it's clear that people are hungry for music, even just recorded on an iPhone. It doesn't have to be perfect audio or video right now. Right. Now, I do have to say I miss my friends who are pros at audio and video because I'm not. <laughs> and wow, uh, what they do is amazing. I've always thought that, but now I know it for sure. So a video that I just put online last night uh, took me about six hours to record because now I'm doing multiple camera angles only with my iPhone. Oh, she's so I record fancy. every piece. <laughs> I, I record every piece like six times over and then I put them all together in this software that I got online. Anyway, it took me 54 hours of video editing. Wow. For this, it, it turned out to be like a 30-minute performance. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing, Jason. I am looking at my screen and just trying to put these things together. It's crazy. Well, we love <laughs> we love hearing it and uh, keep them coming. As, <laughs> as long as you're putting them together, we're going to be watching uh, and listening. But well, I, I'm sorry, I can't let this go. I have to know uh, uh, <laughs> what, what kind of critters do you find when you're there servicing the organs? Do we really want to know that? I so, do. I don't know. <laughs> Jason, if you don't want to know, well, plug your it's ears. It's the same kind of... Okay. Um. <laughs> it's the same stuff. I mean, it's not surprising. It's what you'd find in your house if you left it for six months. Clarinet you know? players? <gasps> but, yeah, clarinet. That's what it is. Yeah. Jeez. And violist. And violist. No, I'm nice. sorry. <laughs> no. Um, so, I have not found them at the Kaufman Center, which actually I'm surprised about because it's a downtown, mm -hmm. you know, location and it's been empty too, but I've not found them there. And um, I just have to say that over the years, as I've cared for various prep organs in various places, sometimes you walk in and there are roaches and there are mm -hmm. spiders yeah, so and there uh -huh. are mice right. um, sometimes. Uh, there was a snake one time. Oh, Whoa. dear. Sometimes there are earthworms. I don't know how they got Whoa. in there, but sometimes there are. So, you know, it just, uh, it, it's obviously the mice that we're most worried about because they like to chew on things that pipe organs uh -huh. are made out of. So you've got wiring in pipe organs, you've got felt components, um, other th wooden components that, that mice would find very interesting. So you just have to be careful about well, those things. Okay, so it it's wasn't quite a, as exotic as, I as I was hoping for I, ho I was hoping you were going to find like bats and like <laughs> raccoons tigers. or something in there yeah bats <laughs> yeah tigers bats do occur fairly regularly I have never yeah. found one I found a uh -huh. bird once and once I had a live bird in a pipe organ and had to figure out you know I didn't want to kill the bird getting it out of there so I had to figure out how to get it out of a building and not traumatized. Can you imagine the poor thing. being like inside <laughs> it there? Was crazy. Well, actually, I, here's another question I've actually always wondered is because I've I've actually been up there. You've taken me up there um, inside the organ, and you know, just to kind of see and ex experience that. But I, um, what is it like? Like, what happens if you're inside it and somebody starts playing? Is that just like deafening? 
Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Um, it can be very deafening. It can also be very fascinating. So yeah. one of the cool things about the Julie Irene Kaufman cast event is that you have to walk through it in order to play it. Yeah. That is not the case with most other organs. Okay. So the fact that we have to means also that we can. And you've been on that on that walkway. And I'm careful not to play loud when someone's in there mm -hmm. unless they ask me to. And then that's <laughs> like dangling a carrot. And <laughs> it's like, all right, you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, between the uh, potentially deafening pipe organ and the presence of vermin or <laughs> pestilence of all sorts, I think we could turn the organ into a really fun haunted house for Halloween coming up. Hey. Like, that seems mm. like the perfect environment. Multi-purpose. Well, and I would have to nix that as the conservatory. Because <laughs> yes, yes. We have to remember that this is a musical instrument. Come so on, Mike. Often, actually often as the conservator, I have to say, remember don't string lights through the through the instrument. Remember don't hang Christmas ornaments anywhere near the instrument. Once we had a, a glass Christmas ornament that fell inside the instrument, that's like having it fall inside a cello or something. Oh, you know, dear. it's like, yeah. this is a big deal. So, no, we're not going to create the Julie Irene Kaufman cast event haunted house uh, okay, anytime soon. Okay, <laughs> Come fine, on, Mike. fine. <laughs> well, Jen, you've been such an incredible guest, and um, we could talk to you about the organ for days here, but there's there are a couple of really, really important questions that we have to ask all of our guests. It's it's in the bylaws of the podcast, actually. <laughs> we, uh, we have to ask you, number one, if you were to walk into a bar with Beethoven, first of all, what what is your favorite drink that you would want to enjoy? For me, it would be a gin and tonic. Oh yeah, with classic. Yes, with Bombay Sapphire gin and a nice squirt of lime, and yeah, that would be for me. That does Good sound choice. refreshing. And then while you're sipping on your refreshing gin and tonic with Bombay Sapphire and a squirt of lime, what would you want to ask Beethoven? As you were sitting there. I've thought about this a lot because I've been a fan of your podcast. What would I ask Beethoven? Mm -hmm. What I would ask him right now is, what would you do right now? Because he suffered from a lot of setbacks in his personal and professional life. And it's easy to get discouraged these days. And so what would Beethoven do right now? Mm. I don't know. Maybe write a 10th symphony. Maybe so. Maybe cool. get into video editing. Yeah, <laughs> probably would, actually. All right. Well, Jan, we have a recurring segment on this show where we like to play a little game with our guests. This game is called, you should be familiar with it, I, I hope. We call it Bar Talk, right? Yep. And basically what, what we've done is we ask a series of questions um, and... This time around, I am taking over the hosting because I have uh, lost this game every time we've played it, and I hate losing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to give Jason a chance and see how he fares. So I'm going to be I'm going to be asking the questions today, which you, Mike, and Jason, you'll each have 30 seconds to answer. If I like your your answer, I'm going to give you this sound. Ah, magical. The but bell. if I don't like your answer, you'll hear this sound and Ooh. you'll lose so many points. So you don't want you don't want to hear that sound, right? <laughs> so the good news is whoever wins today gets to share some recommended listening with our audience. So clearly there's a lot at stake. Are you all ready? To begin. Oh, ready. yeah, of course. Yes. Ready. Let's do it. Jason acts like he's ready, but see, he's been the host this whole time. He doesn't know the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the first question, we're going to start with Jan. Jan, what is the best orchestral work that includes the organ? But best is a relative term. This is so, this is so hard. <laughs> you got to come up with something. Okay, yeah. I'm going to say the Samuel Barber Toccata Festiva for organ Ooh. and orchestra. Ooh. Ooh, we have not played it here, as far as I know. At least we've not played it in Hellsburg Hall. It has a glorious pedal solo for feet alone. And it's mm. wonderfully written for all the forces involved. So Feet yeah, alone? Absolutely. I want to hear that. That sounds, that sounds awesome. All right, uh, Mike, what is the best orchestral work that includes organ? Oh, my goodness. This is, this is a tricky one. You know, I find that, that uh, a lot of the orchestral works that include organ... You know, they tend to come in, you know, somewhere near the end and just 
you know, add on to a loud part. And I have to admit, I like that. So maybe, maybe Pines of Rome. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah, that is a good one. Well done. Do you want to know a secret about those pieces? They're Ooh. really, really easy. Pines of Rome. <laughs> Pines of Rome. Huge Jan, chords. you can't give away the secret. I know huge I chords. Figured, but it's I mean, just... we get all this applause for playing this really loud stuff. It's fun. <laughs> you can't give away those secrets, man. Everybody thinks that you're just up Why there not? sweating and like. Oh, man. It's so much work. Yeah. It's just, you know. <laughs> all right, Jason. Same question to you. All right. Well, I'm tempted to say Mahler 8, Symphony of a Thousand, because I think that's a good use of the organ. And I'm also tempted to say the Sasson Organ Symphony, but I think the absolute best work, including organ, is Holst's The Planets. Uh, the way he mysteriously uses it at the end of Saturn, the Saturn movement, is incredible. It's ethereal. It's gorgeous. And the way he brings in that loud pedal note near the end of Uranus is like mind-blowing. So I'm going to go with Holst the Planets. Now, it, it Jan, is that hard to play, that last really loud pedal note? <laughs> do you work really hard to do that? Or is that just instant gratification? Let's, let's just say that when it's really loud, it's usually not all that hard. But in that more <laughs> subtle way, and there's a spot in the Saint-Saint organ symphony as well, where it's really subtle, and that's really hard. Yeah. That doesn't get the attention or the applause, but it's really hard. All right. Okay. Well, you all did very well on that. I, I think that you can't really go go wrong when we're talking about orchestral music that includes the organ. So that of was course. an easy True. that was a easy first question. We're going to move on. So this one, we're going to start with Jason. The next question, name a piece of music not written for the organ that you think Jan should learn to play on the organ. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what I'd like to see Jan play on the organ, and that is Flight of the Bumblebee using only the pedals. Oh. <laughs> no hands. <laughs> Flight of the Bumblebee at a molto allegro tempo. I'm, did you really you know, just give me the horn for that? I did. That's a I good idea. Looking at Jan's face, and that, that was just like no. There is already an organist who does that. Her name is Carol Williams. Look online. There you go. I'm not oh, going to try to outdo Carol Williams. So okay, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look up Carol Williams. But I want to see you do it, Jan. Oh well, I'll, I'll work on that. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. All right, Mike. How about how about you? You know, I'm thinking of so many different things, but I I want to hear something like "Rite of Spring" on the organ. Ooh, I mean, whoa. can you imagine just the whole thing? I mean, or part of it, but more is better. <laughs> just the sacrificial dance, maybe. <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, it's such a colorful piece, and the organ is such a colorful instrument. I think it, if it were even possible, I think it would be really amazing. True. All right, Jan, what do you think? Is that even possible? Of course. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yes, I have written transcriptions for the organ for all sorts of things. And um, yeah, I think it's fun to try to figure out, like, what should the feet handle? What should the hands handle? Yeah. All right. So here's a question then, Jan. Since, since you do a lot of this already, what is one piece that you have not transcribed for organ then that you would like to perform yourself? So as a pianist first, there are all sorts of piano things that I think would work well on the organ. So one of those is the Franz Liszt Mephisto Waltz. Oh, I've yeah. started on a transcription of that, but it just seems to call to me for the colors of the organ. So you've started already? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. That might be something we can hear sometime soon then. I'm, Maybe That's so. exciting. All right, next question. Um, who would make... A better organist, Mike or Jason? <laughs> We're going to first start with Mike. And this one, you can't just say who you think. It has to, you have to give a reason. Mike, who would be better at the uh, organ, you or Jason? Who would be better at the organ? Well, that depends on the circumstances. If, if the blowers all, you know, go out, then, you know, I'm your man. You need me. There you go. <laughs> For sure. You do have a lot of hot air. That's good. <laughs> That's what I was just about to say. That hot air would come in handy. <laughs> All right, Jason. I'm going to go ahead and say that I would be the better organist, even though I'm probably not the better keyboardist. Uh, Mike's probably better at the piano. But I'm going to say I'm the better uh, organist because I don't know. Mike's kind of short. I don't know if his feet can reach the pedals. Oh. So 
Wow. I'm going to go with me because I have okay. nice long legs and I could probably get the full range of the pedals pretty easily. Sure. Sure. Make a short joke. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was mean. Okay. Okay. This will put your mind to ease, Mike. The The bench is adjustable, so we can make it for people with long legs and short legs. So the playing field is even Because Jan is being a supportive, encouraging colleague. Well done. <laughs> Do they make kid-sized benches for the organ gym? Oh, I'm, not joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Jason. Oh dear. I'm so negative right now. I probably have like negative eight. Okay. Well, well, let's see. Let's see what Jan says because Jan. Now the question to you: You have to break this tie. Is who would oh, be no. the better organist, Jason or Mike? Oh my gosh, this is so difficult. I'm going to break this tie by saying. Stephanie would be the best organist. What? That was not the question, Jan. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. You're like a politician. You're not answering the questions. Oh, she that answered is something the question I do not aspire just fine. To. No, I don't think so. All right. I just want the votes, that's all. Okay. Know your audience. That's how you play. <laughs> all right, and final question. This one is very serious and very musically focused. Who would look the coolest driving a Harley? Of the th- of the three of you, who would look the coolest driving a Harley? Jason, what's your answer? Well, that's a no-brainer because Jan actually does drive Harleys. And while I've never had the pleasure of seeing her, she's talked about it. I've seen her walk in with her leather jacket and helmet and, you know, fire coming out the sides of her arms. and Oh, all. she's got flames. So I'm going <laughs> to definitely say Jan. I don't think I would look cool on a Harley. I do think Mike would look good on a Harley. I, I could see Mike looking pretty cool. So, But I, I'm going to go with Jan. No, you I were mean, you no? were ahead and then no. It's oh, when you start okay. talking about Mike. Okay. <laughs> Mike, what's, I was trying your, to, what's your answer? I was trying to make Mike feel better. I, well, I, you know, I don't know if I could reach the foot pegs on a Harley with my <laughs> short legs. It might be... They make those for short people, too. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. oh good. I think, you know, honestly, I think it would be really cool if we painted some flames on the uh, on the organ pipes <gasps> in Helzberg Hall to, you know, make them look like a Harley. So, Mike, I'm so sorry I, I have know. to nix again, another great idea again. of yours. As conservator of this instrument, I just have to say it's a work of art. <laughs> we're not going to be painting the Julia Irene Coffin Casament either. Mike, I mean, <laughs> we're not doing okay. a haunted house. We're not just... doing, we're not painting flames on it. Ah, Mike man. is off okay. the rails today. Very creative, know, but I'm sorry. I, I have to be the party pooper in this crowd. Jan I'm is sorry. so good at her job. It's just, it's just <laughs> frustrating how good she is at it. Okay, but, but let's focus here. Focus, people. Uh, so riding a Harley, I think, I think honestly, I, I got to go with the same answer. Jan, there's no question. There's just no question. For sure. Well, thank you both. Yes. So Jan, <laughs> you think you look pretty good on a Harley, yes? Oh, well, I think I look pretty cool, and I'm one of the only girls that rides, and so I think that's important. And I love when I show up to an organist convention, and they say, how did you get here? And I say, I rode my Harley. I get the same looks as when I'm at a Harley gathering, and they say, so what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a church organist. And it's the same look. It's the same look of shock. You? You? A church (laughs) organist? Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, so we've come to the end of our game. Tim, you got to tally it up for us. I think I have a, a very clear idea of who, who won this one. I know I didn't. Let's see what our scores are. I think <gasps> I had negative points. All right. Coming in in oh. third place is, oh, Mike G. Oh, oh. sorry, buddy. <laughs> Jason in second place. And overwhelmingly, Woo-hoo! the favorite is Jan Crable. Awesome work. Yay. Wow. Nice wow. job, Jan. I tell you what, I've been practicing. It's like Jeopardy on TV. You know? <laughs> when I listen to your podcast, I think, what would I do if I was a candidate? I mean, a comp- competitor. Nice. <laughs> so, Jan, as the winner of our game today, you get to recommend some listening to our audience. So what is it that you'd like for uh, like to uh, for our audience to to take a listen to? 
So I have a couple to recommend. One is Paul Jacobs playing a new piece that he actually um, uh, played recently at the Julie Irene Kaufman Cass event. It's a Michael Doherty piece. Yes. Michael Doherty is a contemporary co composer, and the piece is called Once Upon a Castle. It's on a CD of Michael Doherty's works, and so I, I would recommend that just because I found that piece to be compelling. And then an older recording from 2002, not that much older, but it's an organist, David Schrader, playing with the uh, Grant Park um, Orchestra um, in Chicago. And it's a CD of all American organ and orchestral works. It includes that Barber Toccata Festiva. It includes some works by Leo Sowerby, a, a Chicago composer, and some world premieres as well. And then I have been working on a, um, a project uh, to play all the organ works of Johann Sebastian Bach um, by the time I retire. So now that's stretching further into the future. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but an, a French organist named Marie-Claire Alain recorded the complete organ works of Bach, not once, not twice, but three times. Wow. So I think that takes so much courage to put your artistic interpretations out there and then to put another recording out there that shows that you've changed your mind mm. and then to do that a third time. And the complete organ works of Bach is well over 300 works. So it's a massive undertaking one time in a lifetime. To do it three times is just amazing. So any of her recordings uh, of Bach, I think, are worth listening to. Awesome. Well, we're going to put those up in the show notes so uh, people can check those out and we'll link to those and uh, we'll all familiarize ourselves with uh, with these works. I happen to love that Michael Doherty, Once Upon a Castle, we pr uh, we played that this this season before everything Shut down. Is it? Was it this season? Was it really that? It recently? was this season. Oh, yeah, it was. Doesn't it seem like a long time? So ago? good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that one yeah. a little bit. It was the concert I conducted, so it was a oh, lot that's of fun right. to work with. Oh, that was, it was yeah. a lot of fun to work with Paul Jacobs, and uh, he's yeah. such an incredible organist, just like our wonderful guest today, Miss Jane Cranebill. Oh, thanks. Jane Cranebill, excuse me. And speaking of our symphony, I should mention that we do have an organ and orchestra uh, CD out there as well that yes, was nominated we for a Grammy. So if you want to listen to that as well, at the risk of self-promotion. There is no <laughs> risk. It's, most, this, it's mostly the symphony. It's the not whole mostly point. me. It's mostly the symphony. <laughs> you know, and it's that easy thing, the Sansan organ symphony. Right. Right. It's so and, easy. And Jan, you also played when we recorded Holst the Planets, didn't you? Did you play on that one as well? Yes. So yeah, yes, you've been exactly. on several of our CDs. And Miraculous Mandarin oh, yeah. um, and the Elgar variations mm -hmm. when it when we didn't have a Hellsberg Hall yet, and it was recorded out at Community of Christ. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I consider myself to be so uh, fortunate to have played with the great musicians of the Kansas City Symphony for so many years. Can't wait till we can again. Yes, <laughs> right. indeed. We are the fortunate ones, Jan, and we always enjoy making music with you. And we've especially enjoyed talking with you today and learning all about the organ and about your career uh, so thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure. And again, good work on the podcast. Thanks, Thanks Jan. Jan. Great to see you. Music doesn't have to be your primary gig for it to still be a huge part of your life. Next week's guest is a tremendously talented percussionist who plays timpani with groups throughout the metro area, but he also happens to be one of Kansas City's favorite meteorologists. Of course, we're talking about KMBC's chief meteorologist, Brian Busby. Looking forward to a great chat next week about music, weather, and of course, Beethoven. Next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. <laughs>